Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Adria Warren. Adria is a partner in Foley's Boston office focused on healthcare transactional matters. Adria is also the national chair of Foley's Women's Network, which makes this conversation particularly interesting to me because it is the first time that I have talked to Adria about her day-to-day legal practice. You see, in my role as director of diversity and inclusion at the firm, I speak to Adria frequently, but in the over a year that we've worked together, this is the first time I have sat down with her and had her tell me about her actual legal practice. But of course, before we get there, I have Adria share her path to law and her path to Foley. She tells us what it was like growing up in the Los Angeles area, how it was that life brought her to Smith College, and why it was that she actually left the country for a few years after graduating from college, working abroad in China, but subsequently returning to get her master's and her JD. Adria reflects on starting in a large law firm as a corporate associate and how eventually she ended up focusing and almost serendipitously focusing on healthcare law. We also switch gears a bit. We talk about the role the Women's Network plays in the firm. We talk about the many difficulties that so many of us are facing, but particularly women during these strange times as we navigate a global pandemic. And Adria also provides some fantastic advice about the importance of being open to various opportunities. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Adria, welcome to the podcast. We're just going to jump right in and I'm going to ask you to give your professional intro. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Adria Warren. I'm a healthcare partner in Boston. I specialize in health transactions, mergers and acquisitions and joint ventures, consolidations, but I really provide a full suite of services for mostly providers and um, hospitals, health systems, physician groups, with some uh, others in the industry, including like vendors and healthcare space. And we will dive in and talk in a little bit of detail about what that means. But it's funny because, Adria, since you are the chair of our National Women's Network, I don't think I've ever talked to you about your practice area at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, we talk a lot about women attorneys. That's right. But not necessarily what they do. Exactly. (laughs) So we will get to both of those things. We will talk about your practice. We will talk a bit about the Women's Network. But before we get there, we have to talk about you and how you ended up, you know, doing what you do at Foley. Um, So let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up, it's actually very circuitous route. I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm California, like my family back to the gold rush. My family's still all out on the West Coast, although my my father's in the Bay Area and my mom's in the LA area. So we spend a lot of time kind of going back and forth when there's no coronavirus. But I've been in Boston now since not counting school since 2008. No, I'm sorry, 1998. <laughs> wow. We're going to break this down a little bit. <laughs> it's like, uh, 2008, 98, same day. Yeah, no, um, same thing. And let's break this down a little bit. You mentioned since the gold rush. So you actually, 
know about this this history or this lineage? Oh, our family. Oh, yeah. My mom's a genealogist. <laughs> so we, we have the whole thing. Is she like the amateur family genealogist? She is. She... I okay. don't know. I don't okay. even know if she's amateur anymore. She founds like societies in her local community. <gasps> really? That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because, and I, I only said that because coming back east was a real exception for the family. You know, my yeah. family, my parents and grandparents and had all gone to UC Berkeley. You know, and we we knew the history of how my family got out west with the gold rush, but didn't you know know anything before that. And she has since been able to dig even further back. So I have a lot of. She comes out here and goes to the genealogical society on Newberry Street and. That's how we get to see her. <laughs> that is really neat. I think everybody needs somebody who's like that in their family. I personally don't have the patience or interest. And my husband's family, he has a cousin who serves that purpose. So if you find old photos or if you want info, you send it to her. And we will, I could just go down that path, but I'm not, I'm not, it's taking a lot. I'm going to rain it in. I'm not going to have you recite <laughs> your, your family's theology. <laughs> but that's super interesting. But so you specifically grew up where in California? Where was the bulk of childhood? In the Los Angeles area. Okay. So that like a suburb of or LA proper? Well, West LA. My parents divorced when I was nine or 10. And so my, and my father stayed in the Santa Monica area and my mom moved a little bit north to Valencia, which is now Santa Clarita. What a nice area. I haven't spent a lot of time in, in LA, but I have visited LA and Santa Monica. That is a different lifestyle than being in Boston. It's where you are now. It's yeah, it is a different lifestyle. When I moved, made the decision to finally move out here, my mom looked at me and said, "Oh, you know, on the I think you'll like the East Coast, Adria, because on the West Coast we really like to do things, and on the East Coast they like to talk about things." <laughs> that is hysterical. So there's a, a couple of random anecdotes, but. There was a time where I was visiting the San Francisco office of one of my firms relatively frequently, and I had my sort of San Francisco routine. And in California, I'm a super early riser because of the time difference. Yeah, you have to so, be. Yeah, yeah, so I could find that I could make it to, I don't even know what the trail is, but whatever that area you'd walk along the bay and like towards the Golden Gate Bridge, do that early in the morning. And I remember texting a friend, and I do not, I, I'm really into health and well-being, but I do not run. I am not one who goes, you know, hiking. And I literally told them, I was like, you know, I think if I lived in California, I'd probably become a runner. Like just the, like the way it looks, <laughs> like the way it feels, I think it might, might change me uh, lifestyle wise. And I, and because I have these nerdy well-being leanings, whenever I'm in California, I do have this sense of like, oh, my people, because there's a lot of people who are wired the same way I am. And so I'm not as strange when I'm in California. <laughs> no, it's, it is. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I mean, I, I hike on the East Coast too. We're very active. Yeah. As a family, but yeah, also on the West Coast. I, I was in Berkeley at my father's house when I was studying for the LSAT and it was the Massachusetts LSAT. So I did it all by uh, tapes and I would just, I would go in the hills for hours and listen to my lectures. <laughs> I was in very good shape when I took the bar. Right. That's, that's <laughs> a really great idea. But okay. So before we get to law school and all that, I do just want to ask, so when did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? I'm guessing you, were you nine, 10 years old? Did you know, or what did you, what did you think your life would be before you hit college and law school? No, it is actually really <laughs> totally circuitous. I'm actually still not sure. <laughs> Just, I'm kidding. <laughs> I went after college. So I, 
after college, I actually went to China. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so what did you do in college then? What was I majored in comparative literature and French. I was at Smith in Massachusetts. So that was the first foray east. I had... I don't want to make this longer than I should, but I had I studied in time, so yeah, go for it. I studied in Paris my junior year, which was wonderful, and I loved it. And I got back my senior year, and I had a a friend at a nearby college that had spent the year in Beijing. I mean, this was when Japan was really hot. It was before China was hot, and actually, my senior year of college was when Tiananmen happened. So I had this bug about traveling overseas. I was really interested in other cultures and particularly hearing the stories that my friend had had in China. And then Smith ran a whole winter session on post-Tiananmen China that had everybody that had been really involved at the time, like Mark Chinoy from CNN and, you know, policy people. It was the like a week long, it might not have been a week, but it was the interim break at Christmas time, like at the, the holiday break. And so if you came back early, you could go to it. And I got really interested and I applied for a um, teaching position in China. And I I thought at the time that, you know, I thought about Peace Corps and I thought I don't want to do two years, way too long. So I applied for a couple programs and and I ended up going and staying for three years in the end. Sorry, you didn't want to do two with the Peace Corps, but you ended up teaching English in China for three years. Okay. No, I taught for a year and then I moved to Hong Kong and got a job. So I went to South China. Okay. And I just, you know, and I loved it. And I loved being there. A job doing what? Teaching still? Or was it something else? No, I did. Um, I worked for a French importer of cheap Chinese electronics as their local, you know, their local person. <laughs> the that is really interesting. You said it was a little circuitous. Yeah, let's go. This is interesting. <laughs> so I did that. And, you know, there was kind of a year in between of just trying to find work and doing whatever I could. I mean, I was... I was almost one of the people on the street corners handing out flyers because I just needed money to pay rent. I was living in a complete fire trap, you know, 10th floor youth hostel with other people because Hong Kong was part of England still at the time. So people would travel around the world and then stop there to work if they had a UK passport. So it was a pretty cool, very fun time. And I also went through a lot of soul searching at the time and thought about PhD programs and thought about policy. And I actually got into law through my interest in policy. And so I applied to the Fletcher School, which is at Tufts, which is a focus on its international law and diplomacy. And they do some dual degree programs with law schools. I convinced somehow convinced them to do a dual degree degree program with UCLA for law school. And so that, to me, that was like the almost an add-on to my interest in doing international law and policy. Let me let me just break that apart a little bit to make sure I'm understanding what I'm hearing. So it was that international law and policy aspect that you like. You applied to this program at the Fletcher School at Tufts, which was a what degree was that? A master's. It was a master's. Okay, and it was a master's in law and diplomacy. In law and diplomacy, and then you're like, oh, I can combine programs. Why don't I toss on law school at UCLA? <laughs> Sorry, when I say it like that, it makes I'm it sound a little masochistic. I will admit, <laughs> it was four years. So it was it was you know five years of degree, but four years of school. So I did one year. I did my first year of law school at UCLA, and then I went to Tufts, and I spent two full years there. And but I took um, I took some classes at Harvard Law, and you know, and got UCLA credit for it. 
So I was fully immersed in the master's program, the two-year master's program at Fletcher. And then I went back to UCLA and most of my classmates had graduated. And, you know, I was there for my last year. I was completely off cycle. I had not done any on-campus interviewing because I had not been at campus. It was, and I had done no bar classes. <laughs> so, so my last year of law school really, really sucked. But, you know, but that was it. And then I, I finished up and managed to land a job on the East Coast and have been here ever since. Well, and what was the plan going in? It was, like you said, I'm, I'm interested in policy. I'm interested in law. What were you hoping you would do with those degrees? Yeah, you know, I don't really know that I was entirely sure what I wanted to do. I mean, I knew that I loved working with Asia. I, uh, you know, came back to Boston after law school and I took a job as a corporate lawyer with another big firm, one of our peer firms. And I was very lucky to land it. And frankly, I landed it because of that China connection because mm. at the time China was really hot. And I, and I really think that's the only reason I got it. And it my and it and I thought corporate law would be great because it would give me good business experience. I saw it as very transferable. I thought, you know, let me pay off my loans as quickly as possible, and then I'll have maximum flexibility, and I'll go save the world. <laughs> I'll travel abroad and I'll do diplomatic things with diplomacy. I'm just kidding. It's funny you should say um, earlier about the getting two degrees. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Christopher Swift. So another Foley partner who I had on, I don't know at this point, it's probably three or five episodes ago. I'm not sure. But he got his PhD at Cambridge at the same time as he got his JD from Georgetown Law. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you think maybe your story has a little, you know, a little sadistic, Chris, I think Chris trumps you in that. So just know you're in good, you're in good company. <laughs> I, I suspect we have a number of, you know, there, there's a lot of, well, the IP group is just full. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're talking like PhDs and yeah, I don't even know what sort of crazy like engineering, but exactly. Okay. So, so you're, you're a corporate associate. And when we say corporate, was it general? general transactional kind of stuff? It, well, M&A and financing and project venture financing. So, and a lot of the, the firm was very similar to our firm in that there wasn't a lot of, um, it was kind of one-to-one partner to associates, not a huge associate class. And so a lot of direct client interaction at a junior level, which was great. I mean, I, I really liked that model. And it was the dot-com boom. I've been through a couple of recessions now. So it was a really like heady time to be learning all this stuff because we were just really, it was very work hard, play hard, which was a lot of fun at the time. And, you know, and so a lot of general corporate support work too, in addition to the M&A and, and financing. So it was exciting. It was a good time to kind of start out and a good place to start and out. And at the risk of rushing through, which I don't want to, but I'm, I'm wondering when you made the pivot, the healthcare focus. Yeah. So what you probably don't know about me is I actually quit uh, private practice for a couple of years and I, I did go and try to save the world. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's talk about that. I had, so the slump happened and the dot-com bust happened and a lot of firms went through layoffs at the time. I did not get laid off. I survived, touch wood. But I, you know, it was, it was a really difficult time, and I and I think kind of coming out of that for a lot of different reasons, I, I didn't, I wasn't entirely happy where I was, and a good friend of mine sent me a job posting for the American Bar Association programs. They run programs overseas supporting the rule of law, and there was a China position, so I took it or I applied, I applied and I got it, 
and it was based in Washington, D.C., but it was supporting legal development in, in China, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Wow. And so I went back and forth a lot. I was, I was married at the time. My husband stayed in Boston. And so I came back on weekends and I got a house sit. And I did that for two years. And it was, it was good. It was actually a really interesting time because it, it was kind of what I thought I had always wanted to do. But there were also things about it that I didn't like. And I always say the thing that that it really taught me is that at some level, a job is a job is a job. And, you know, it, it really hit a lot of right buttons for me. But there were things that, you know, that were irritating or, you know, people that were not super fun to work with or. Can you say a, a bit more about what the work that work was? And you, you, you said generally, but like, so what kind of stuff were you doing, doing during that time period? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So it was, it was, there were people based in the countries that I worked with. It was kind of one third uh, fundraising, like pr- proposal writing, one third organizing uh, conferences and programs. Like we worked with the local bar associations and did study tours and we were, and we worked with, with groups in China that were organizing uh, public hearings, you know, it was, it was kind of civil society development, mm-hmm. the China program. And then in Cambodia, there were only like five lawyers left after the Khmer Rouge period. Wow, so, yeah. uh, so we were working on on legal education there. So a third of it was the kind of the substantive programming part and working with the local partners. And, you know, and then there was a lot of um, just some, you know, some writing as well and, and substantive work, but also doing things like airplane tickets. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting, but I also didn't. And then at the at the end of that time, I did that for two years, and that was my real kind of turning point. I actually had, I wanted to come back to Boston. I had a job offer to stay in the nonprofit international development world, and I had the Foley job offer. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think, a lot depends on where you are in your life at any particular point in time. Frankly, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just sorry, I'm nodding. Though. Yes, totally. Yes. You know, I was like ready to settle down, frankly, and start a family and be be more stable. And the international position would have been really, really wonderful, I'm sure, on a lot of levels, but it would have been soft money. I didn't think I could do a good job without traveling. And I wasn't sure how much I wanted to travel. And, you know, I mean, pro, you know, all pros and cons. I mean, I literally sat down and made a list of pros and cons. And I do think, that, again, I think I got the Foley job offer because of the China connection again. I had practiced for five and a half years. I had some solid. Right. And was the Foley position a trans, another general corporate or was healthcare focused? General corporate. So I, I took that position. For, for kind of after going through my lists of pros and yeah. cons and things. And I, I, I don't, I absolutely don't regret it. And I love Foley. So, <laughs> so we still have you. So. <laughs> and this was 2006. So I, that says something. And a couple months after I started, so then I was in general corporate. I was a fairly senior associate. But, you know, I'd been kind of off cycle and people didn't really, they probably, you know, didn't really know where I was. Yeah, what should, what should we do appropriately. with you? Yeah. Yep. And our office managing partner came into my office one day after I'd been there a couple months and sat down and said, oh, I have something to tell you. There is a a group of attorneys that are coming to join Foley to really, uh, in the Boston office, that are going to really start a, re-energize our health practice and really start a Boston. We had like one health partner at the time, and there were four that were coming concurrently from different law firms to our firm. 
And she's in one of them. It has a very heavy, uh, very busy transactional practice. And he really needs a good go-to person that can help support it because he's, you know, he's coming and then he's leaving to go to China for two weeks on vacation. And we need someone just to really take care of this. And I was the new person on the block (laughs) with a relatively light plate. So it was me. And then I found out who it was, and it was actually a very senior partner from the firm that I had started at originally. So I had a, I, yeah, I don't want to use an expletive, but it was like an oh sh- moment. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, because I had been very junior at the time, and he'd been very senior, you know, and I didn't, like, how was I going to work with this person? And as soon as it was public, then I could call people and say, okay, give me some tips. Give me the intel. But hey, at least you had that resource, right? You're able to, you knew who to call. <laughs> I did. No, I did. And it was good. So I ended up, frankly, more because of happenstance, providing corporate support for the health group. And and that grew. I mean, it was a very busy practice. And so I, I ended up doing a fair amount of it. It probably got to a point where it was like 70% of my work was for healthcare. And then we had another slump. And I had had my, I was, and I was a senior counsel at the time, and I'd had my first child also. And for numerous reasons, it kind of made sense to to move over to healthcare officially. Right. And this is probably like 2008, 2009, if we're in another, this is probably the great recession we're at now. Yes. I think that I made senior counsel on my first maternity leave and I changed groups in my second maternity leave. So there were, there were always (laughs) things that happened on maternity leave. And it was, I mean, it was good. It made sense because it was most of my work. Most of the people that knew me were in healthcare. I had to really kind of make sure I knew why I was doing what I was doing. So there was a lot of retooling as well and training, you know, and I've, in a way, I think that's exciting because it keeps you interested in learning and growing and stuff. So that's one of the things that I feel like I've been very lucky to be able to do that. But, you know, back going back 10 minutes in the conversation, if you'd asked me, at various points, <laughs> at any time prior to that, what I'd be doing, I would never have said, I'm going to be a healthcare partner in a big firm. <laughs> but, that's, but that's really one of my favorite parts of this show is hearing that because we see everyone else's, well, I like to think we can see people are on their journeys, but often, you know, someone will look at your Adria Warren, you're a partner at Foley, you're a healthcare partner, you are the finished product. Clearly you came out, you know, you, you were a child and you knew this is what you wanted to do. We always think that everyone else knows exactly what they're going to do and exactly how they're going to get there. And so I just think it's so nice to hear real stories about how it is that people ended up, you know, doing what it is that they do. Yeah, no, I don't. I think that's right. I think there's a combination. I mean, I'm, I think that I w- work hard for what I do, but I also think that I take opportunities and that's important, you know, and I think when some doors close and there's usually, you know, other doors that open. Yeah. And you should grab those. <laughs> well, there's a couple things. So there's, we have two paths. There's one where I want to talk about your, your path to partnership and, you know, being a partner at, at Foley. And then I also want to hear a little bit more about what it means to do the sort of work that you do, everything you described within that first, you know, 20 seconds on the podcast. So maybe we start with the first one and then we'll talk more specifically about the practice. And then in the time remaining, we can talk a little bit about the women's network or anything else that's top of mind for us. But so what was your your path to partnership like, particularly as you said, so you're a senior counsel, you have young, young kids or soon to have young kids at home. It's the great recession. <laughs> 
and you've switched, you've officially switched practice groups. Right. No, I was, I was in, so Foley has a, a model that's, it's not a two-tier partnership, but you're a senior counsel and then you're up for equity partner and senior counsel, which I think you've talked about this in other podcasts, but senior counsel, the firm that I had come from had a two-tier partnership. And so when you made that middle level an income partner, it was a huge promotion. Right. And I kind of feel I, I think the senior counsel model's good, but it really is it's more vote of confidence. Like we love you and we think you can be partner and we want to make you partner here. It's less of a giant promotion thing in and of itself. Right. And when I made senior counsel, the world was totally different. And I, you know, and I remember when I made senior counsel being kind of told, well, there's, you know, there's rainmakers and there's also people that, that are support partners that, you know, can work really hard and build tons of hours and stuff and, and support them. And I don't think that's really true anymore. And I think that started to not be true when I was senior counsel. I was senior counsel for a long time. So I'm really you know, kind of, I told you I took a long time before law school and then I took an extra year of graduate school and took two years off. So I've been around the block a lot more than you would think. This is a theme. This is, yeah, you're like, it just takes a little longer to get certain Everything things. Everything takes a long time. That path to partner, and I hear you when you say it took some time and I appreciate you sharing the distinction between senior counsel and, and partner. And I have to say, I don't know that I have covered that specifically on the show. So just to clarify it one more time for those who aren't aware many or at least most, I would say, large law firms are a two-tiered partnership, meaning they have one tier that is often called a non-equity partner or an income partner. You are partner in title, but you are not sharing in the profits of the firm in the way that an owner partner would. And then you can go on at some point in that partner process to be promoted to equity partner. And depending on the firm, they have different names. You know, some will call those principals, some will call it equity partner. At Foley though, all of our partners are equity partners. They're all principals. We do not have an income partner tier of partnership. So I appreciate that. And I just reiterated that for those, particularly the law students who may not understand that, that distinction. But yes, yeah, the Great Recession, you've switched groups and you are on your path still to partnership, but it does sound like, and I'm not sure if this is maybe when you might've gone flex time, because I want to talk about that as well, because I know, yeah. yeah, and I know within the firm, you're such a great resource for anyone who wants to know about that. And I don't know if you have any reflections on that and why it was useful for you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I did that. So I went flex time, which is reduced time, expectation reduced target hours when I had my second kid, which was, you know, I was still senior counsel and it was very helpful. I I think that I, I know a number of women who have done that at Foley and who have succeeded and been promoted, you know, flex time associates who make senior counsel and flex time senior counsel who get promoted to partner. I mean, that's that's actually, frankly, one of the things that I love about Foley. Yeah. I think that it really, you can, you can make partner if you're, you know, even when you're trying to juggle things. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, a lot of times you're for partners is also when you have young kids at home. Yes. And within the DNI space, you know, that I've talked many a time how those, that time period, they will frequently be around the same person, same person, same time in someone in a person's life. Um, And then also for those who don't know, it's not always the case within a large law firm that you can be either flex time or part time, whatever that arrangement is, something less than the typical full schedule. 
and still be eligible for equity partnership. At Foley, you can be, but there are a a number of firms where reducing your schedule in some way would be considered taking you off path or at least kind of pausing that momentarily. So it it is fantastic that that at Foley, that is not that is not how it works. Yeah, and so it helped. I, I mean, frankly, because it's uh, my husband worked. He's always been more had a more predictable schedule. But when our kids were young, he had a really big commute, so he had pretty regular hours, but he was not around. And I always said it was somewhere between his predictability and my flexibility that we kind of made it work. But we went through all, and we also don't have family here. In the area, yep. And so we had, you know, relied on whatever childcare we we could use. <laughs> we did everything, mm-hmm. but a lot of craziness, you know. And, and I think that the, the flex time really helped, just because it gave me that extra cushion to go to doctor appointments and not have to make up the time, you know, or run out. I had to run out and pick up the t- kids from daycare at five o'clock and then go back and catch up after they went to bed or, you know, whatever period of time we were with the kids or wherever we were in our lives. Uh, and just to have that little bit of hours pressure removed was was a huge benefit. And I know people that have done it differently. There were some people that would work four days a week and work really long four days a week and then be home on, you know, on home <laughs> on whatever fifth day with their kids. But I tended, I've pretty much always been five days in the office, but tried to be home for dinner with my kids and be real, you know, we we, we really co-parent, but be a real active presence. And that's just what works for me. You know, and I, yeah. and I think the Flex program gives you that ability to try and, to try and make it work. Well, and I was just nodding so much as you were speaking because I, I've, my husband has not had a large commute, but he, in our marriage, he's the one with the very like nine to five. That's why our kids could, could go to daycare versus when I was still practicing, needing to have a nanny. But I think just the the juggling the many different things that pull you in life, particularly when children are young, is something that so many people can, can identify with. And I want to circle back to that in a bit, but first I want to do that foray into your practice. So break down for me more about what it is that you do, you said a number of words and you have to remember I was a litigator in a former life. So I need a little bit more explanation than maybe someone who is transactional. But tell me more about what, what does your practice look like and what, is, what does it mean to do what you do? Yeah, no, I I do a lot. So probably, I mean, it, even that has continued to really grow. I mean, frankly, because of a lot of different opportunities. A lot of what I do is in the transactional space. And because healthcare is so heavily regulated, the transactions tend to get fairly complex. I mean, we'll enter into transactions that are, you know, maybe a straight like purchasing a company by buying its stock. But then the physicians, instead of becoming employed by a hospital that's buying them, end up, uh, you know, staying in their company. But being doctors through by contract under professional services agreement or managing. And so then there's a whole suite of documents um, and everything subject to really a lot of regulatory scrutiny. And you have to be uh, very careful to dot your T's and uh, cross dot your I's and cross your T's. And, but I also do, like I said, uh, some general work for hospitals and health systems. And I actually was was very lucky a couple of years ago to be asked to serve as a um, kind of acting general counsel for a local hospital. I had done for a period of time, I had done all their physician agreements, uh, you know, management agreements, if there were compliance questions, you know, kind of handle all of that. And one of the nice things about Foley is because we we do have a lot of 
we have a lot of breadth and we have a lot of depth because, uh, and that's so valuable, particularly in an area like healthcare, because it is heavily regulated, but in, in like every sort of space, right? So we have HIPAA experts that pretty much just do privacy and security. We have reimbursement experts. We have fraud and abuse experts, you know, people that helped write the laws or helped, um, you know, enforce the laws and then really can give you that sort of insight. And uh, so I tend to be fairly broad just because of the background, but but really know, you know, who to go to and issue spot and things. And so when I was working for the local hospital, it was a really good opportunity to see everything that that they were doing from a management operations side because I would go to their leadership meetings. And uh, so that was also just really good to be able to understand what the business perspectives are. Absolutely. I think for to be a good lawyer, you really need to understand and be you need to listen as much as talk um, and to understand what your clients' priorities are. And so that was and so I do do a fair amount of that as well. You know, and I think that when you're in the healthcare space or really any space, you do develop a trusted relationship with your client and they will call you with any sort of question. And thank you so much for explaining all that. It's like I said, when we first started, it's so funny to me because we talk relatively frequently, but we do not have occasion to talk about your practice. (laughs) (laughs) So I almost feel sort of bad that I didn't know some of the things you just said in terms of what your day-to-day looks like. But that is, it is really interesting, the aspects of, and so as we get law students listening, what you'll get is you'll get some of your jack of all trades, you know, transactional, I'm an M&A lawyer, or, you know, people are buying and selling things. But then once you start getting into the the specialties, it's if a hospital is buying or selling something, if, you know, like you said, physicians are involved, and we have all of this added regulation and the fact that, you know, you want to bring in a specialist within the industry. And Foley also, I think, like many firms, but also has industry practice groups, which I've I've talked to, or industry areas of focus, and I've talked to law students about that before, explain that very thing. It's so that you know the ins and outs of whatever law may apply within a specific industry, and that's what we see in healthcare. But then when you, I did not expect you to add on the acting general counsel part. No. <laughs> that, as you said, definitely adds on a different way to view the, you know, various things that your clients are doing. So that's a, that's an awesome, that's yeah, a fantastic it opportunity. Was good. It was good. No, they joined, and they joined a larger system, so I'm not doing it anymore. You know, but it, but I also, I have other health systems that I work with, you know, as really kind of the point person for whatever sorts of uh, inquiries come up. Yeah, whatever they need, which is, I'm sure it's a wide variety of issues in that situation. It is. No, it's fascinating. And, that, and frankly, that's one of the things I really like about what I do is that it's, it's always different. There's nothing cookie cutter about what I do at all. And I can't anticipate, you know, often I can't anticipate what what a day is going to look like because I get questions that just come in and my day day goes sideways. And then you see see what happens. (laughs) But, you know, but I, like I said, I've continued to learn and and grow and the laws themselves are changing. Well, and switching gears a little bit as we begin to wind down our time, although we still have have a little bit of time, I did want to talk a little bit about the Women's Network. And it was funny, as you talked about taking a step away from uh, large law firms for that couple years, I was thinking that's where Adria also probably developed some of these skill sets to manage the Women's Network. <laughs> because a number of the things you mentioned, I think, are... The, you know, so let me set the stage a little bit. So you are essentially the lead of our women's network. And there is a women's network coordinator in all of our 21 offices. And so at, at Foley, we have a number of affinity groups. The women's network is the only affinity group, at least currently, that has office level 
coordinators are leads. So it's a much, in some ways, larger group. It's it's larger to coordinate because you have both that national, but then that also that hyper-local. And so I'll set the stage there. And so, and I've been at Foley for about a year. We've talked to each other quite a bit about the women's network, but I would love to hear what your initial thoughts are on it. And then I want to, I'll ask you a few more questions so people get a sense of, of what it is and, and what it means to you at Foley. So the women's network, like you said, we're at, at in every office and then we try to work nationally. And what, what I, what I really try to do and I see as my role is really helping to bring cohesion to the group and also share best practices and, uh, and support, both support our local leads and, you know, and the women as a whole. But we do, I think our work falls in a couple of different buckets. We do a lot of the, the, the our main goal is uh, is recruitment and retention, you know, and providing support for uh, for our attorneys. We do some real concrete programming, and one of the things that I started when I got on was a, a speaker series that kind of like this, frankly, but we did it by video, where we had to have an associate interview a more senior woman attorney, just like a fireside chat, to really try and get personal about you know what what how did you develop your book business, but also how do you do the, for want of a better expression, your work-life balance, you know, and then tell a little about yourself. And I, I know that that's been good. I, I've had, I've benefited from numerous mentors during my life. And part of my hope behind that was that to help people identify mentors. Cause I, I, I also don't think that you ever have just one. I think you take lessons from different role models and different mentors throughout your life. And there's fewer women, fewer senior women attorneys in any one office or in the industry as a whole, and we need to know each other and we need to support each other. And so I, I love stuff like this podcast that you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the reasons, other than the, you know, the great, great work you would be doing anyway and that you're doing before I joined the firm, but that we've talked so frequently is we've really had to mobilize in light of coronavirus because while it has impacted everyone and so many ways, you know, what we're seeing. And now I feel like it's every other week, you see the articles starting to come out about how women, uh, you know, are, are really being impacted by what's going on with the pandemic because of the lack of childcare. And so we've been on many a call, um, trying to, you know, brainstorm and also by involving other firm leadership. And what can we do at Foley to help ease this time, you know, certainly I don't think any employers in a place to sort of like, we can't wave a magic wand and like fix everything, but we've definitely been talking a lot in the women's network about just what's been going on in, in the U S for what, or the world for the past, what, eight, nine months now. No. Well, and I think more than talk. And that's, a, that's another piece. Another piece of what we do with the network kind of overall is help with um, policy and advocacy because that's Absolutely. no matter how well-intentioned a firm is, there's always going to be people who say things that are, you know, tone deaf and uh, you know, our policies that didn't take something into account, you know, and, and, and if stuff and stuff, is it of importance in particular to our women attorneys, then we'll advocate for that. Um, and so when the virus hit and offices were starting to close down, people were freaking, I mean, you know, I, all of us were freaking all, out, all right? Of us, so, all of us, yes. Regardless of where you were in your life, what's this going to mean for my pro, my hour and hours-based productivity industry? You know, what's this going to mean for my relationship with my 
partners I work with, let alone, you know, the emotional stress of being home with kids or. And when it first started, it was teachers being like, here's a lesson plan that can you teach your children this during the day? Yeah, I know. It was still a little <laughs> like that for, for people, for yes. some people. Yeah, I know. I'm reflecting longer. now my kids at least, like I say, at least like it's good, but they're like, the teachers had the summer to figure things out, but no, but yeah, just to reflect, everybody was just like, what are we going to do? It was scary. Yeah, it was scary. And so we started meeting, so the women lead started meeting weekly by, you know, by Zoom. And we met weekly up until like a month or so ago. And and now when we still are meeting every other week, and we'll probably go to, we might go to monthly. And at first it was to really kind of make sure we knew what was happening. I mean, there were a couple of instances where it really turned into a, we need to advocate for something. And I would call up, you know, call the chair of the firm or call other people to try and um, make sure that everything was being taken into consideration about what did, you know, any impact for working parents in particular, um, many of whom are, are women. And also to share the messages back to the other women, because these were just the leads in the offices. So it's a smaller group. So we have, uh, like, we convened office level meetings around the uh, end of year period because we really wanted to encourage people to make sure, and the firm is openly encouraging people, but we wanted to make sure that attorneys felt supported to talk about their personal circumstances this year, right? Because it, it's been a challenging year, but the people that are, you know, doing necessarily compensation might not know that you have three kids under five or that you have, you know, twins. And we had, uh, we've had people in management come to our meetings and we had Jay Rothman, uh, you know, the chair of our firm met with the Women's Network and there were women uh, office leads on the call that were there with five-year-old twins. You know, one of them was on maternity leave holding a baby. And it was, I think it was really good because it gave them a real sense of what we are trying to deal with. And, you know, at some level, I'll be frank, it was also a support group (laughs) for ourselves. Yeah. Just to hear that, you know, you're not, you're not the only one. Right. And, you know, and then you and and others on the phone really stepped up and tried to respond to that and identify what the resources were available, you know, at a practical level through our benefits, through, you know, any um, any training or personnel support that people might need that through the like employee assistance program. If people wanted to, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always, like you said, I'm a big advocate for flex time. People are always willing to talk about things like that. But, you know, just make sure people know what is out there because it's still, it's still ongoing challenges. Well, that's the weirdest part in some ways because, you know, we're all, like I said, eight, nine months into this. In many ways, this new life has been normalized, but it's still very much not normal. These challenges are, are ongoing. These are discussions we're going to keep having. Although before I, I go to what are, I guess are my final question for you, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge all the work that you've done over the many years, but also this past year. It's, it's certainly no small feat, all the coordination you've been doing across the offices. And I know I think the firm, you know, myself, Legal Talent Development, the Women's Network, I just think we're really um, grateful and appreciative for all that, that you've done. So I just wanted to say that on air. It's recorded. Other people can hear it and not along with me. So, you know, thank you so much for all of that, Adria. That's sweet of you, but I think it, it, we're a great team, right? I think it takes... Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think sympathize is the right right term for it, but I have a great respect for, and you know, and you're, you're an example. We've had so many examples in the podcast and throughout Foley and at many other firms, but when you have 
a, a busy legal practice to do all this stuff. And I know it goes under, you know, firm citizenship and stewardship, but it still is a lot to switch gears from a, a client call. And then you jump on, you know, the affinity group call or whatever else it is that, you know, attorneys at Foley are doing to further the efforts of the firm. I can't help but occasionally just stop and be like, thank you, because you don't have to do this work. Technically, this is my job when people thank me for doing certain things. But anyway, my final, final question for you, and we've touched on so many things, and I'm so glad we had this time together because I've learned so much about you that I did not know. But as we wrap up, what are your reflections for somebody contemplating a legal career? I don't know if it's the things you wish someone would have told you or advice you have for somebody, but totally open. What, you know, what would you have to to tell that person? Yeah, I think being open to opportunities. You know, I kind of feel like law school tends to be very focused on litigation, you know, and, and train you with that orientation. And law is actually a very solid degree. I, you know, I'm, I would not encourage anybody to make a decision to go to law school lightly, particularly with the debt people get out of it now. But it's it's a well-respected degree. And if you're especially, you know, if you're interested in like Washington, D.C., right, 80 percent of anybody doing any particular job in Washington, D.C. has a lawyer degree, a law degree, right? And I think you need to recognize that. I, one of the other people you interviewed uh, talked about taking uh, you know, kind of not worrying about a job you take because it's easier to get a new job when you have a job. And you get things from it, from positions, right? So all of my, like my work in China opened additional doors, right? New doors. And I think it probably still will continue to do so. And the, you know, the healthcare opportunity, I really, really love doing what I'm doing now. And it was completely fortuitous, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, so being open to those opportunities and keeping your eyes open and getting out there, but also, you know, grabbing things that come your way and not being afraid about it. Yep. There's this level of trust. The path will, the path will unfold before you as it needs to, I suppose. Yeah, you can't always predict. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for being on the show. And if people have, I don't know, questions, comments, they want to reach out, can they feel free to find you on Foley's website, send you an email? Of course. I love helping others and talking to others, and I'm happy to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adria. Good to see you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 